What a privilege it is this morning to take your Bibles and turn to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 10, beginning the first one. And he, that is Jesus, left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him and he again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and carries, uh, excuse me, and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Thus since the reading of God's word, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Let's pray before we go to God's word this morning. Almighty God, we, we pray that as you shine on us through your word this morning, that, that we would come not as, as people whose minds have been lulled to sleep, but may we be roused by your words and may we stir up ourselves more and more, Lord God, to, to fear your name and to present ourselves in all of our pursuits as a, as a sacrifice to you. Um, Lord, that you may peaceably rule and perpetually dwell in us until you gather us that day when you will take us to heaven to be with you forever. So Lord, this morning we pray that you would speak to us, that you would open our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that we could hear, Lord, and walk away from this place, Lord, rejoicing that we have heard the word of our God. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, the topic that is before us, that of divorce and marriage and even sort of remarriage, I guess, to some degree, is a very relevant topic, but it's oftentimes a hard topic to speak upon. And part of that is because whenever you, you preach, you're preaching to people who are oftentimes going through divorce or who have gone through a divorce and maybe they are very emotionally raw and it's very difficult for them to, to hear a sermon like this. Or, or maybe they're divorced and they didn't want to be divorced. They, they now are second-guessing themselves or maybe wondering what could have they done differently to maybe make their marriage work. Or maybe you have people who are listening today, whether that's here in person or via the live stream, who have biblical grounds for divorce and, and yet were very reluctant to get a divorce and are still troubled in their conscience. And, and really struggling with the death of a dream to have a godly home and a godly marriage. 
or maybe there are even those that are sort of quietly here, no one else knows about it, but they're sort of teetering on the edge of divorce. Uh, they're, they're just wrestling in their marriage. They're, they're really out of energy, they're out of answers, maybe their spouse has given up, and it's just, this is very hard for them to hear. Maybe that there might be those who are listening that are, uh, have gotten an unbiblical divorce and they're very defensive about the subject and they've never really come to grips with their own sin. There may be those even who are very angry towards the teaching on biblical divorce or maybe, maybe not angry, but maybe just disagree with it. They, they see it as unrealistic. It's, it's sort of... Uh, out of touch with what where people are, maybe it's a pie in the sky kind of thinking in, in their minds. But you know, there may be those that are here this morning who are the children of parents who have gotten a divorce. And maybe they're they're hurting. Maybe they're angry. Maybe they're confused. Uh, maybe they're older. Maybe they're adults and they've lived with this for years and they've learned to sort of cope. And yet they realize that they're still affected by it, though, and they're wrestling with it. Now, you may be here today, and you may not fit into any of those categories, but I would guess that most of us, if not all of us, have had friends or family members who have gotten a divorce or maybe even are in the process of that or struggling. And so it's a very personal topic for us. And, and I want to be careful not to ignore the reality of the impact of divorce and, and the extent to which it's had on all of us that are here today. I don't want to fail to show compassion as we approach this very sensitive topic. I also know that as we come this morning, probably every group that I have mentioned here this morning has had some experience with marriage and divorce and, and have opinions on that. And, and probably are struggling with questions. And, and, I, and I need to say this, so as not to frustrate anybody. Unfortunately, this morning, we can't cover this topic exhaustively. We can't say everything that the Bible says about it. So if you walk away and you say, but Pastor Rick, you didn't mention this. It's not because maybe God's Word doesn't say that or that's not important. But we are trying to deal with the text that's before us in Mark chapter 10. And so while we will mention some other topics, maybe very briefly, I'm really sorry that we won't have time to look at all of that. But maybe we can come back to those topics, or maybe you and I can talk and have conversations about these things in the future. But I think because of all the things that we've experienced in life, the different opinions that we have about these things, and, and even maybe some of the questions, sometimes it's a huge challenge for us to hear what God has said about this topic and why he says that. But I want us to hear the words of Jesus Christ this morning as he speaks to us on this topic of divorce. And he does so for God's glory and for our good. And I want you to understand, those two things always go together, by the way, God's glory and our good. We may not always understand why God acts the way he acts for his glory. There may be times when we have questions about it. There may be times when it's even difficult for us in our lives as God takes us through certain things for his glory. But he does so for our good. He loves us. He has made us after his image and his likeness. And he knows us. 
And God knows perfectly what is best for us. And so every command that He gives us in His Word, I don't care what it is about, it is designed for our improvement and our blessedness and our enrichment in this life and the next. So let's, let's keep these things in mind this morning as we, we turn to the text and look at Mark chapter 10. What, what we see is it, it really opens up with Jesus leaving Galilee, that northern region, and he's moving southward into Judea, which is the area or the region surrounding Jerusalem. And we know from the things that we have read in Mark's gospel that Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die, to, to suffer for his people. And, and as he comes, you know, with that kind of mission in place, he does as he always does, right? He teaches. He, 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 he shares with the people. And as he's teaching the crowds, uh, then these Pharisees show up. And it says in verse 2 that they came to test Jesus. Now, that word test, Mark uses four times. And it's interesting that three of the four times, it refers to the Pharisees. In chapters 8, 10, and 12. But the, the first use of that word is actually in reference to Satan in chapter 1, verse 3. And, and this is significant because what it shows is, is that the Pharisees' motives were not to test Jesus in, in some way, to, in a way that would be helpful, but they were really testing him in a way to tempt him, to sort of trap him, to sort of, you know, uh, make life very difficult for him. And, and it also reminds us that the activities that the Pharisees were participating in was really sort of like what Satan's was. When Satan came to Jesus, Mark doesn't tell us this, but Matthew, Matthew contains most of what Mark teaches. Oftentimes, Matthew just unpacks it a little bit more, gives us a few more details. And while Mark doesn't tell us what Satan did in that temptation, Matthew does in chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And we see that Satan twists the Word of God. He takes it out of context, and he uses it in a way to try to lead uh, Jesus away from what God's will is for his life. And in the same way, the Pharisees were coming to Jesus with that same intent. So the Pharisees come and they ask Jesus a question about the legitimacy of divorce. And he says in verse 2, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Matthew adds the phrase at the end of that, For any cause. But this is an important question. And it was a question that Jews wrestle with. But, you know, like I said, it wasn't that the Pharisees were just sitting around thinking about this and they thought, oh, well, let's go to Jesus. I'm sure he can clear this up. Really, more the intent of their question was to create a dilemma for Jesus with the Jewish people. Because as much as there are various views of divorce in the church today, and if you don't believe that statement, just get on the Internet and do a search for divorce, and you'll be appalled at the different views that even Christians espouse regarding divorce. Well, in the same way that we wrestle with that, the Jews wrestle with that as well. And, uh, and a lot of the controversy that they had revolved around Deuteronomy 24. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy 24. Keep your place in Mark, but turn to Deuteronomy 24. And let me read verses 1 through 4. Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some 
indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, and she departs out of the house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Now, the debate that the Jews had was over that word in verse 1 of indecency. You know, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he, he has found some indecency in her. Now, what does that word indecency mean? Well, they wrestled with that. And there were different schools of thought. And there was a more of a conservative view, which was the school of Shammai, and which says basically that the husband could divorce his wife only if there was some kind of moral failing in her. Typically of a sexual nature. But then there, were, there was a more popular view, which was the school of Hillel, which is a more liberal view. A husband could divorce his wife for almost any reason, which he found his wife no longer acceptable to him. So that could be something as simple as burning the toast in the morning. It could be maybe she said some word against his mother, and so that made him upset and he would get rid of her. It could be that she just talked too loud. And the neighbors could hear her. And so he could divorce her. So it, it, as you could see, you know, the Pharisees were was trying to put Jesus sort of in a trap to say, okay, which side is he going to come down on? And, you know, where is he going to say? But I would suggest to you that I think maybe there's another reason that's not specifically mentioned in the text, but I think could be implied. And that is, it says that Jesus came to the area, the region of Judea. And one of the reasons why that's significant is because that was Herod's territory. Now, you might recall that we encountered Herod back in Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29, when uh, we saw that John the Baptist was beheaded. And the circumstances for that was John the Baptist was uh, sharing with Herod that his marriage was an unlawful marriage that he had unlawfully divorced his wife and Herodias had uh, unlawfully divorced her husband and they had come together as husband and wife and Herodias hated that. And so she asked for John's head on a platter. And it could be, here again, it's a little bit of speculation, but it could be that the Pharisees were hoping that if Jesus took a strong view in divorce, that maybe that would get him in trouble with Herod and that maybe the same thing would happen to him. I don't know. But regardless, Jesus sees that they are testing them, and he exposes them for who they are. So he basically takes their question, and he answers it with a question. Look at verse 3. He says, What did Moses command you? Now, the answer that they give is very telling in verse 4, because they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. So, so their answer was, was really very vague, and it really was just quoting the passage in question in Deuteronomy 24.1. But notice what Jesus says. Notice what his question is. His question is, what did Moses, what? 
command. He didn't say, what did Moses allow, but what did Moses command? And then Jesus lays out in verses 6 through 9 uh, what God says back in Genesis 2. Because Genesis 2 is where Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words. Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You see, Jesus makes the point that marriage relationship was designed by God to be an intimate bond, but even more than that, it was to be a lasting bond as well. That the man leaves his parents and he literally, if I could use this word, gets glued to his wife. He gets glued. He's, he's stuck to her. He's so united to her in such a way that the Bible says that the two of them become one flesh. Now the idea of one flesh is that they are no longer two individuals, but they now become one couple. That's not just semantics. There's something that actually happens there. And, and that one flesh uh, has a physical aspect, a, a sexual relationship, that's true, but it's not just a physical oneness. There actually is also a spiritual oneness that occurs as well. There's sort of a, a kind of unity that goes really beyond our human understanding. And so to, to separate people, to, to, uh, to have couples get a divorce, it means there's, there is literally a tearing or ripping apart of the flesh. And brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that's why our culture is struggling right now. Because there is so much pain that comes in divorce because there is that ripping, there is that, that tearing apart. And even those that get a divorce and they act like, oh yeah, it's no big deal, it's the best thing I could have ever done. Got rid of the old ball and chain or whatever it might be. But if you look at their lives, oftentimes they suppress the, the consequences of that kind of tearing and that kind of ripping apart. And those consequences stay with them for the rest of their life. And so God has commanded through Moses the lasting nature of marriage. So, so you have the, the Pharisees who are wanting to, to look at the exceptions about divorce. And Jesus is like, no, let's, let's go back to God's original design. And so the Pharisees say, well, Moses allowed a man, not commanded, uh, the provision of writing his wife a certificate of divorce to send her away. They say that in verse 4. And then Jesus replies in verses 5 through the beginning of 6. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But, from the beginning. You see, even here, Jesus once again goes back to and says, Look, the only reason God gave you that commandment was because your hearts were hard. Now, what, what does he mean by that? That's That could be a little confusing. I mean, why, why would divorce be permitted or allowed by Moses? And what does that mean, of the hardness of heart? Well, Jesus confronts them with the reason why this certificate of divorce is permitted. It's not because God condones divorce. It was a concession because of the hardness of man's heart. Now, let me see if I can explain it this way. Think about some of the other laws in the uh, Old Testament, okay? Uh, for example, there is a Mosaic law that says if a man steals an ox, 
he shall repay five oxen for that one oxen. Okay? That's a, it's a law of retribution where you pay back more than what you take. Now, Moses, by giving that law, doesn't say it's okay to steal someone's ox, right? That's not, he's not commanding you to steal or anything like that. And, and it's not Moses giving a stamp of approval to the sin of stealing. Uh, he's not doing that. What he's basically doing is, is saying, you will sin. You will transgress God's law. And, and I know you will do that. So for the protection of the person that you sin against, here is a law. And so it, it doesn't make the behavior right. And that's what he's doing here in Deuteronomy 24. He, he's, he's, he's never encouraging divorce. He's saying when a man divorces his wife. In other words, this is my design, that there be one flesh marriage forever, but I know that you will not listen to me, and you will sin against me, and you will get a divorce. And when that happens, I want you to give a certificate of divorce. And the reason why God did that was so that that woman... When she got divorced, she could take that certificate of divorce to her future husband as proof that she was free to remarry. And, and that's important because in Old Testament days, the penalty for adultery was what? Death. Yeah, if you committed adultery, when you were married, not only would you be killed, but the person you committed adultery would be killed as well. So you could just imagine... If a husband, if the original husband, did not want his wife to remarry, when she went and she attached herself to another man, she got married to him, that he could lie and claim that he was still her husband, and he could have both her and this man put to death. And so, so he couldn't get away with that. God said, I require you to give a certificate of divorce. I want you to do that for the protection of this woman. So Moses' words in Deuteronomy 24 were intended to create sort of a legal barrier to men sinning as they pleased against their wives. But men were, were treating this certificate of divorce, this kind of generous concession on God's part, abusively. They, they took it as an excuse for them to act any way they wished towards their wives. They totally misunderstood the purpose of this law. So, so you, you see, nothing in Deuteronomy 24 encourages divorce. God was just making provision for the women. You see, Genesis shows us that God's instituted marriage so that he is the one who joins people together and they should not be separated. No one should separate them. So the intention of the certificate of divorce was to make a divorce was not to make a divorce acceptable, but to limit the sinfulness and control its consequences. So Jesus reinforces the fact that marriage was God's idea and that marriage is a mysterious one flesh relationship. Now, as we read on in Mark in verse 10, we see that the disciples, they ask Jesus a question. They're not testing him. They really want to know. They want to understand because they're listening to what Jesus is saying and the disciple said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, is it better not to marry? In other words, this is difficult. And, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. 
And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. You see, uh, Genesis 2 spells out for us in plain language God's wise, good, and kind provision for, for marriage. And the tragedy today is, is that we're living out the fallout of abandoning God's wisdom that he has given to us, our creator, what he has told us, what is right. We have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and we think that we're much wiser than God is. And Jesus is encapsulating for us in plain language that the, the foundational and fundamental building blocks of a wholesome and healthy society is marriage. And to break that is to commit adultery. The lifelong commitment of one man to one woman, not one man to another man or not one woman to another woman, but one man to one woman. Now, having said that, I think I need to clarify, especially since we have so many folks in our congregation that are single, Jesus is not saying in Genesis 2 that if you're not married, there is something missing from your life. Okay, I want you to hear me say that. He's not saying then that something is missing from your life. This is not the point that he's making here in Genesis 2. The Bible is clear that, that singleness is a gift from God. That God actually takes some people and he sets them aside uh, to be used for his glory and the good of the church to be single. To give them more time to serve him in ways that people that are married don't have the freedom to do. And so, just, just understand that, please, as, as I'm saying this about marriage. You see, but the principal fundamental building block of a healthy society is the union of one man and one woman for life. And, and the disciples were, were amazed at the teaching of Jesus. It seemed extreme to them and, uh, you know, very countercultural, which just shows you how much they were affected by the culture around them and so uh, you know the culture of easy divorce because it was no question in the Jewish mindset that divorce was allowed the real question was just what when could they get divorced and so they viewed Jesus standard as maybe almost impossible uh, so Jesus answers them in verses 11 and 12 by saying in essence that marriage is for keeps divorce is out of the question now you may be thinking, is it really out of the question? And, and I would say in one sense it is. It's out of the question for anyone who belongs to God and who believes his word. But, but it's only not out of the question because we resist oftentimes and trample on the wisdom and the grace and the kindness of our creator. And we do what we want to do. Now, let me just say this as a clarification. I'm preaching to you Mark's text on this. I understand there are other places in Scripture that do speak of grounds for divorce, whether that be marital unfaithfulness that's spoken of in Matthew chapter 19, uh, whether it's abandonment in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But, but even as you think about those cases of marital unfaithfulness and abandonment, realize that in both those cases, there is still sin involved that causes the breakup of that marriage. In both of these cases, the divorce has still been initiated by a sin of at least one of the spouses. 
And in the case of sexual immorality, the one spouse has sinned in such a way that it affects the marriage. They've committed adultery. And in that case, the innocent party is freed from their marriage commitment. But it doesn't mean that divorce is a good thing. No, God grieves along with the offended spouse that their spouse has sinned against them in that way. And it's the same way with abandonment as well. The, the non-Christian wants to leave. And the Christian is not responsible in that case for the non-Christian. They can't make them stay. And when that happens, the Christian is freed from their marriage commitment. But that doesn't mean that that divorce is a good thing. No God grieves along with the Christian that their non-Christian spouse sinned against them in that way. But in each of these cases, God sets the person free who was sinned against in this way so that they can pursue a godly marriage. Now, having said that, I just want to be very clear. Here again, we're not covering every passage that talks about divorce. But that doesn't mean that they have to get a divorce if their spouse has been maritally unfaithful. Um, it's interesting, and one, comment, or one uh, uh, preacher actually pointed out the fact, he said, if you look at the context of Matthew 19 that talks about divorce, the context is Matthew 18, where Peter says to Jesus, how many times should I forgive? You know? And uh, Jesus just gave them a standard that blew their minds that you should forgive over and over and over. And so there is a sense in that context that there could be forgiveness if there has been marital unfaithfulness. Hosea, another book, you know, talking about the relationship between God and his people, which we'll talk about in a minute. You know, he tells uh, Hosea to continue to take Gomer back, even though she's a harlot. So anyway, just keep that in mind. And so while there are grounds for divorce because of hard-heartedness of people, Jesus wants his disciples to understand that the fundamental character and sacred nature of marriage is one flesh marriage forever. And that's why Jesus speaks so bluntly. There are exceptions, but what Jesus is challenging the Pharisees, and I'm sure the crowd that was listening in on this as well, is that our focus must not be primarily upon the exceptions but on God's design for marriage. Now, we need to hear Jesus' words because we live in a very therapeutic society where people are talked about as falling in love and falling out of love. When people begin to have trouble in their marriage, it's almost automatic that they're going to consider getting a divorce. You know, we oftentimes have the mindset, well, this didn't work out, I'll just start all over and with another relationship and maybe that'll work. And even Christian counselors offer divorce as an option easily. Um, and they even take and redefine some of the terms. Abandonment is not a spouse who leaves you and, and you know, moves out of the house. Abandonment all of a sudden becomes emotional detachment. My husband lives with me, but he's just not emotionally attached with me. And so the counselor says, get a divorce. Or marital unfaithfulness becomes verbal abuse because, you know, that destroys oneness in marriage. So therefore, uh, you know, it's just get a divorce. Now, brothers and sisters, please don't hear me say that we should not wrestle 
in the midst of these relationships with people to help them in their marriage. We should. I mean, my wife and I have done a lot of marriage counseling. We have come alongside couples, and we have seen people that they've come to us and said, you know, if you don't help us, we're going to get a divorce, you know, but we're going to give it one last chance. And we have seen the Lord put their marriage back together. So it is, it, it is possible. And I, I just want you to hear me to say, it doesn't mean we shouldn't wrestle with people. Relationships are a messy thing, but they're a mess worth making and work, working with and bringing the gospel to come to bear uh, in. If in marriage a couple becomes one flesh, to divorce is to bring dismemberment to that couple. And you think about it, brothers and sisters, if the statistics are true, that over 50% of marriages, even Christian marriages, end in divorce, with many people now not even getting married, because they're like, yeah, I don't even want to go through all that. You know, I'm just going to live with my boyfriend and my girlfriend. And they'll do that for a while, and then maybe move on to another relationship, and so there's just this constant tearing and ripping apart within our culture. If that's the case, then we, as one person put it, we're bringing dismemberment into the very heart of our society. You know, do you ever wonder why our society is so fractured and just so dismembered? And we might want to say, well, it's racism or it's politics or whatever. And there are many factors that can bring dismemberment to our society but I would suggest to you one of them is divorce. And God in his wisdom instituted marriage as a creation ordinance. And society was to be built on wholesome, conjugal, faithful, loving, committed, one flesh marriages. So marriage is, is, is uh, I think we need to understand, is not only God's idea and it's his design, but it's also how he works. God joins together a man and a woman and he puts them in this intimate relationship. So no human being should, to, should take that apart. But, um, but unfortunately, the church has been invaded oftentimes by the mindset of the therapeutic age. And, um, and we don't always stand up and speak the truth of God's word. And like I said, of course there are marriages that are struggling and I'm not denying that. There are Christians who have marriages that are struggling and we must take them back to, to their creator and their redeemer because the problem is not fundamentally the husband or the wife, although it can oftentimes appear that way. And, and I don't mean that there are not men who need to be dramatically transformed as there needs to be women that need to be dr dramatically transformed in their life. But fundamentally, it is their relationship with the Lord that needs to be put right. And the reason our human relationships are not what they should be is because our relationship with the Savior is not what it should be. Think about what Paul says in Ephesians 5. He says, Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? By laying his life down for the church, for suffering, for going through torment, and dying for the church. Jesus sacrificed himself for his bride. And Paul is teaching us something essential that we need to grasp, that our relationship with the Savior is, is what lies at the heart of our marriages. 
And if our relationship with our Savior is not right, it will be reflected in our marriages. And it's only as our union with Christ spills out over into our lives, almost like overflowing like a cup that you have under a faucet, and the cup just can't hold everything the faucet puts in it. As we live out that union with Christ and it spills over, then, men, your wives will see that they are precious in your sight. Men, your wives will respect you because of that union that she has with Jesus Christ. And so we need to be careful as we look at this. And, and as we think about sort of how marriage has been downplayed in the last decades or whatever, uh, you might wonder why that's happening. And some people say, well, people don't want to be restricted by social contracts called marriage. People want to do what they want to do. And there's a sense in which that's true. But I would suggest to you that there's something deeper going on and that is that Satan is blinding the eyes of humanity to the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, the problem in society is not that society hates the doctrine of Christian marriage. They hate the Christian God. They don't want to submit to God. They don't want to do what he says. And so if legislators make laws that are contrary to what the Bible teaches, it may not even be that they're against the church. They're against God. That's really where the battle is. And we need to do more than merely speak of our Christian view of marriage. We must say that God has decreed marriage for His glory and our good because we are living in a world that's swimming in its own vomit. They need the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the fundamental issue is who God is. And the Pharisees didn't see it. And many in our world don't see it as well. But not only is, is marriage a vision for, uh, for God, it's also a reality. From, from his side, the Lord Jesus Christ, is he perfectly fulfills that husband's role. The Lord Jesus Christ has taken his church as his bride. And, 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 and though she is unfaithful, and though our hearts are easily turned away from God, he continues to pursue us. The husband, he perfectly is faithful. Jesus never lets anything come between him and his bride. His faithfulness is part of the good news. And we ought to be encouraged by that this morning, brothers and sisters. Not only in our own Christian life, but even in our marriage relationships as well. With his unfaithfulness, all of our unfaithfulness is covered. Furthermore, in God's sight, His faithfulness is our faithfulness. His righteousness has been given to us. And because our Savior is faithful in His marriage, those who have union with Him through faith are also going to strive for faithfulness in their marriages. His vision of one man and one woman where nothing can come between them, that vision is going to be shared by us. And we're going to say, uh, we are going to, to seek uh, God's will for our life. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ has come to win a bride for himself, a bride that he will commit himself to forever and ever and ever. Christian marriage is to reflect that foreverness about Christ. What does Paul say? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. This mystery is profound, 
And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You see, the reason why divorce is so awful is because our marriages, brothers and sisters, reflect, they are a tangible, physical example of God's relationship with us. And God doesn't just give up on us. Once we are His, He holds on to us. And, and I'm just saying that as we think about divorce, there are times, there are circumstances where they are difficult and we need to wrestle through those things with people. But we have gotten to the point where we have made divorce so easy that it's a door that's usually an option. One of the first things Robbie and I do when we sit down and we meet with a couple that's having marital problems is we said, okay, behind us there's this invisible door of divorce. Uh, if you want to make it through this marriage counseling, we need to get rid of that door. Because if you leave that door there as a possible escape route, I will almost guarantee you, you will exercise it. Because it's hard. Because marriage counseling is basically looking at your own heart and seeing your own sin and asking God to forgive you and to change you and to deal with your heart. And that's hard work. And it's so much easier to walk out through the trap door. But if you get rid of that trap door, then you have no choice but to say, Lord Jesus, change my heart. Change my marriage. Renew me. Help me to love my wife. Help me to love my husband. And we have seen the Lord change that, change those lives over and over and over. You see, Jesus Christ gave up his heaven's glory that he might secure for himself a bride that he would be faithful to no matter what the circumstances because he has become one body with us. He is the head and we are the body. And so what does all this mean? Well, it counsels us to shape our lives by the wisdom and the goodness and the kindness of our God. But it also counsels us to understand that his ways are ways that we can embrace with all of our hearts because they were never designed to crush us, to harm us, to restrict us, but to rather to bring us to life. I love what the psalmist says about God's commands in Psalm 119.32. I will run in the way of your commandments. Psalm 119.32. I will run in the way of your commandments. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. And yet he stops to take the time to teach the church about God. That is the Savior, brothers and sisters, that we have. That he cares about us. He cares about our relationship. That is the Savior we have and that we are to honor and that we are to love and to show through in our lives, whether we're married or we're not. Please bow with me, if you would, as we meditate on this this morning.
O God in heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word of truth. Your word challenges us. It it confronts us. it, It comforts us. Sometimes, though, Lord, we find your word very difficult to accept. But we know that it is your word and we trust you. We thank you, Lord, for your work of creation. And we praise you, especially, Lord, for the beautiful institution of marriage that you have given to us. We thank you for the great joys that come into our life through marriage. But we also trust your providential care for us when we encounter difficulties and trials in marriage. We trust your providential hand for those of us who, who want to get married too and for whom you've said not yet. Or perhaps maybe, Lord, you, you even will say no to some. Lord, we come this morning and we remember those, Lord, that are wrestling in their marriages. Father, we pray for them and pray for your grace and for the work of your Holy Spirit in their marriages. But Lord, we also pray that we would be people that would move towards people who are hurting, who are moving towards people who are struggling in their marriage. May we, may we enter into their lives and wallow in, in, in the mud of their sin and, and the challenges that they are facing. May we, Lord God, be instruments in your hands to, 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 to preach the gospel, yes, to share the gospel, yes, but to show the gospel as well in everything that we do. So, Lord, give us a compassion and a love for them as you have for them. But, Lord, also, uh, as you uh, demonstrate as well, the firmness to be able to love them enough to speak the truth, that the truth might set them free. Oh, God, we thank you and pray these things in your name. Amen.